I remember the moment when I fully comprehended grace or fully comprehended what it meant to be a partaker of grace. It was one verse, actually. I'd heard it before, maybe, but I understood it for the first time. I I learned it in the New American Standard Version. It goes like this. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, up until the moment I understood that, I, you know, I'd been to church before, uh, I'd grown up in a Christian home, but Jeremy had a problem. He made a lot of mistakes. It, it seemed that every time there was, a, there was a crossroads and I had to make a decision, I always made the wrong one. Jeremy, don't move. I moved. Jeremy, don't talk. I talked. Jeremy, do that. I did the other thing. Jeremy, don't do that. I did that. And and it seemed no matter what I did, even with my best intentions, I I always fell short. And, And it got to the point, by the time I was a teenager, I had fully understood or accepted my role in this world. There were good kids and there was bad kids, and I was a bad kid. And I believed that I was destined where any rule found in the Bible, in society, in my household, in the school, no matter what rule, I was destined that I was probably going to break it. Most of the time by accident, and even if I didn't break it, most of the time I was blamed for it because either the guys I was with broke it, or it just seemed like we didn't know who it was. Let's, let's hedge our bets and go for Jeremy. And, and I kind of had given up trying. You see, I had worked so hard, and that was the thing. Every morning I'd go to school and I'd say, okay, Jeremy, you're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to get in trouble. Okay, you're going to listen. You're going to pay attention. You're not going to say anything. You're not going to touch anyone. You're just going to, you're going to focus. Here we go. Game plan. I, I never make it out of first period. And then by the time lunch was done, I had given up. I'm going to have fun. I've already broken the rules. I've been out the hall twice. I may as well make it down to the principal's office because I know my buddy's already there and that'll be a good time to hang out. I was destined to be a bad kid no matter how hard I tried. But then Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing that he who created a good work in me, in me, We'll carry it on to completion. You see, for the first time, I understood that it wasn't about me trying. For the first time, I understand that he bestows upon me the grace through Jesus Christ. And, and from there, I just need to draw close to him. And if I draw close to him, there's a promise that I can be confident that in the end, he'll perfect me. And, and you see, up until that moment, Jeremy was trying so hard to be perfect all the time. And it, was, it wasn't working. That moment I understood I had something I could cling to knowing that I don't have to try so hard. That, that he did it for me. And that I would be a partaker of the grace that he bestows and I just need to draw close to him. It doesn't mean I'm not going to screw up. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to sin again. It, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to make mistakes, but that I can rest in it. And I can just draw close to him, try to be like him, And he'll take care of the rest, knowing that one day, one day, maybe a long, long time from now and a lot of sins later, one day I'm going to be perfect with him, like him, 
And I just need to hold on to that. All of a sudden, I was a partaker of grace, a partaker of the grace that Jesus Christ offers. We're in the second week of a series, Ordinary People, Radical Joy. Lessons learned from Paul's Philippian letters. Seeing that in four little chapters of the New Testament, there's, there's overwhelming sense of joy and rejoicing that the Philippian people, that the Philippian church gives to Paul and that this, this series of, of events and situations that happened at that time and the joy and rejoicing that can be experienced and fulfilled through Jesus Christ, that it has expanded now 2,000 years later to us and that ordinary people like you and I can experience radical joy through Jesus no matter what our circumstances are, no matter how much trouble we're in. Through that grace, we can receive joy. Turn with me in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, passage will appear on the screen, or you can look under one of the seats in front of you, you'll find a Bible there. And if you don't own one, or if you lost yours, talk to the greeters at the back. They have a, a Bible to give to you, and it's yours. You can take that home. Philippians 1. We're going to look at six, verses 6 through 11. Philippians 1, 6 through 11. It says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's two kind of components here we're going to work on. The first one is verses 6 to 8, and the second one, 9 through 11. And Paul refers to the Philippian people as partakers of grace with him. Like, like there's this cooperation that they have, this unity they have, partakers in grace. And, and grace, to get a, an idea what this grace is, what are we partakers of? It says, that we're partakers of the favor, of kindness, of gratitude, of thanks, of, uh, but specifically grace as a gift or blessing brought to man, brought to humanity by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. The gospel, that Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago died on the cross for the sins of you and I and the world, but that three days later he rose from the dead and he conquered death and conquered our sin. That grace, the grace that he took the punishment for our sin, the dirty secret things, both that people know and people don't know that are in our lives, that are in us because we're human beings, separates us from a holy God, but that God set up a plan that his only son, his one and only son would die on the cross for that sin and take the punishment. We are given grace, nothing that we earn. Any person, any nation, any tribe, any tongue, doesn't matter age, race, anything, any person receiving the grace of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, Paul is, is, he's here in prison. Him and Timothy, he is in prison, not because he murdered someone or stole. He's in prison because he keeps talking about Jesus. 
And the Roman Empire is not happy with Paul. Keep traveling around the empire talking about Jesus because people are being transformed and they're leaving pagan religions and they're stopping to, they're stop, they stopped worshiping the emperor. And there's a problem. This guy, Jesus is impacting people's lives. And this guy, Paul keeps telling them about it. And, and so Paul is writing to Philippi through the power of the Holy Spirit, guiding him through words, which we are now studying and, and affected by. And so he's got Philippi there and the people there that have already received his gospel and they're already doing the work. We learned about last week that Paul's filled with joy because they're partners in the gospel. They keep talking about the gospel. The Roman Empire probably thought, okay, we just need to imprison Paul. Once he's in prison, we'll hopefully silence him and then this whole thing will die out. But it didn't. Here's the thing about the gospel. Every single time someone's imprisoned, every time someone's persecuted, every time someone's martyred, every time that happens in a certain area, the gospel explodes because human nature says, wait a second, I don't remember that guy doing anything wrong. How come you imprisoned him? How come you killed him? How come you beat him? I don't understand. I want to know more. Next thing you know, they hear about the gospel, they're transformed. And, and so Paul says that these people that are in Philippi, they are partakers in the grace that he has. It's kind of like they're partners. They're unified together, even though they're separated. Once one group of people's free, he's in prison. They are the same because, and even in their imprisonment, they share it. And they're in defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul sits in prison knowing that God is sovereign. He's there for a reason. But the Philippian people, they continue They continue on. They continue to spread the gospel. They continue the message. It's too late. You can lock me up if you want to. I already told them. And now they're already telling people, how many people, Rome? How many people can you martyr? How many people can you wrap up? Because this Jesus guy and this grace that he offers is bringing about transformation. What are you going to do? Paul also says in this passage, he says, he says that he yearns for them. He yearns for them with all affection of Jesus Christ. That's a big yearn, huh? This concept of yearn means, the original language means to to reach out for, to to stretch out and to, to, to touch someone. And I can imagine, I've never been in prison, thank the Lord, met Jesus, might have been there. But I can imagine, if I'm in prison, I would yearn for certain people. You know, as a husband and father, I would yearn. I would be internally stretching out for my family. I would deeply desire to touch them, to to hold them, to kiss them. There would be this, this overwhelming sense in my heart just to be near them. That yearning, a stretching out for them. And Paul says, I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. That's a big yearn. And, and, these people in Philippi, what, what is it about them? Is that they dress so nice? Maybe they, they put on a good meal for him when he, him and Timothy were there. It's just like last week when we discussed how joyful he feels when he thinks of them, that he's overwhelmed with joy. It's about their passion for the gospel, their partnership for the gospel, the grace that they keep talking about. That's why he yearns. He's in prison, but he yearns to be near them, to continue the work. He yearns to be surrounded by people who are passionate for Jesus. He yearns for it. He wants to reach out. He wants to be near them. He stretched it. I yearn with all the affection of Jesus for you. That's fascinating because 
we as believers, we should follow that. We should, we should yearn to be around people. We should yearn to be around people that, that just overwhelm us with Jesus and grace. These Philippian people, they love Jesus so much that Paul just yearned for them. But let's move on. Let's look at verses 9 and 11. There's, there's kind of a different component thought that transfers here. He, he moves in, he says, he says prayer again. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Your love. Love. Your love may abound more and more. Love's a loaded word, isn't it, folks? Like I'm telling you right now, I love bears. I love bears. I love bears more after this week than I did before. <laughs> Couple of you already know where I'm going. I love bears so much that I put one in my freezer. And, <laughs> and, and my family and I might have had some sausage yesterday. I had a nice little, my wife made these fresh biscuits and an egg and black bears. Oh, man. Oh man, I'm sure they got those in heaven because it felt like it. <laughs> now, to those of you listening on the podcast that aren't living in the North or Alaska, you're probably freaking out right now. You're, you're rewinding it. Did he just say, I love bears? And now he's talking about a bear in his freezer? Yeah, I did. I did say that. And, and uh, you can call me. You can get the number off the website and we can discuss that. But love is a loaded, you, you would think, well, no, Jeremy, like if you love bears, you want to take pictures of them. You want to cuddle them. I'm telling you right now, you go cuddle a bear. He's not going to want to cuddle you. I'm telling you, you may want to be showing the love. He does not want you anywhere near him. But they look so cuddly. Go for it. They're not cuddly. But, but then let's change that because I love huskies. Husky dogs, they're, they're nice, right? They're beautiful animals. I love huskies, but I'm never going to put a husky in my freezer. Never going to put a husky in my freezer. Maybe under extreme, extreme circumstances of survival, if I end up leaving the pasture and becoming a musher and I don't know, something really goes bad. But I am not going to do that, but I love them. I love huskies. And I won't say I love my children because that's an image we're not going to go to. Oh, I said it now. I said it now, Ralph. Hold me back. Okay, so love can be a loaded term. So when Paul says to the Philippian church, may your love abound more and more. What are we talking about here, Paul? Whoa. What kind of love are we talking about? Because we live in a culture, if we just read that, love in our culture, especially Canadian culture, is associated with acceptance. If you love something, you will just accept anyone the way they're at. You can't disagree with anything because the idea in our culture is that if you disagree, you don't love them. But let's think about that. I love Jude. If Jude came to Nicole and I and said, Mom and Dad, I've been thinking about this, and um, I want a steady diet of gummy bears, and from now on, I'm not going to be educated any other way other than uh, Nexo Nights on Netflix. If you don't know what Nexo Nights is, ask your kids or grandkids. So Nexo Nights on, on, on Netflix, and, and this is what I'm going to do. And if you loved me, Mom and Dad, you would accept this decision in my life. 
you love me, you'd, you'd let me have the gummy bears. I connect with gummy bears. I am a gummy bear. That's crazy, right? So love can be loaded. Love can be very difficult. And what can happen is, is we can start to say, oh, well, as Christians, we just need to love. We need to pour out the love. And it's true. But Paul does something for us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul adds a comma and says, with knowledge and discernment. May your love abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. You see, knowledge and discernment, we learned a couple months ago, are spiritual gifts. Knowledge means about the same thing it does now. But so discernment, to give you an idea in case that's a new word for you, discernment is the ability to kind of see into the future in your mind's eye and say, that's a good path, that's a bad path. Don't go there, go there. You can see landmines, you can see bad things coming. So this is crazy. Paul says a partaker of grace should abound in love more and more, comma, with knowledge and discernment. Now, my second son, Luke, he's a little squirrely, just saying. He's the one that in the middle of Caddy's prayer was banging on the Bibles. He was the drummer at that moment, so he kind of looks up to Jose. That's the way it is. But Luke has this amazing ability for the world to disappear when he's imagining things. He can be in the car singing songs, and we're all listening, and it's like he's, he's in a different world. He's in a different land. He listens to this uh, Focus on the Family Adventures and Odyssey, you know, and he listens to it. Then he, then he asks, hey, Dad, did you watch that episode? And I'm like, we listened to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, listen to it. Yeah, yeah. He saw it. He witnessed it. He watched it. So this is Luke. His imagination is overwhelming. And, and so Luke, my love for Luke abounds more and more every day. I, when he was born, I knew I loved him. But each day that went past, I'm, I'm amazed as I fall deeper in love with him, with all my boys. But, you know, he, if, if someone's going to, if one of our boys is going to, fall on something or trip on something or knock something over, Luke will. Luke will knock something over before Mark does. Mark's only one and he's more cautious than Luke. He's just, a li- his imagination, the world, it's nothing against him. He's, he's just, he's in another land. So if I look at my three boys and I think, who's going to get run over by a car first? Playing in the street. Nicole and I have talked about this. It, it's going to be Luke. We got to keep an eye on Luke because he's just kind of like, ah, da, 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 Mack truck. Okay? And, and so if I, his father, I love him, my love abounds more and more. And I'm, at the, and I'm at the street and I'm looking and Luke is in imaginary land and he walks into the street and I know there's a Mack truck. My love abounds more and more for him. More and more. Comma. With knowledge and discernment. Here's my knowledge. Mack truck, big, hard, heavy, smash. Luke, soft, cuddly, squirrely. My knowledge is stating to me that if I'm to look at this and look at this, this is going to hurt this. That's my knowledge base. Now my discernment is in that moment, as I see the speed of the Mack truck and as I see my son walking across the street, my discernment is, is that Luke's going to die. Now, but if I love if I love him more and more, and if I want to bestow my grace upon him, my grace and love should mean that he can, he can chart his own path. But that's craziness. In reality, what I'm going to do is I'm going to dive across that road, and this 230-pound frame 
is going to land on that 50-pound frame, and we're going to have, like, rash and broken glasses and broken— we're going to have all sorts of mess all over the place. People are going to be taking pictures, maybe selfies, check this out. You know, it, but, and the, the truck's going to go by. It's going to be fine. I'm going to save his life. And I'm probably going to have to take him to the hospital. I'm going to wound him. I'm going to hurt him. But, but Jeremy, that, it's not very loving to hurt your son. But in that moment, in that moment, I had to make a choice. I had to make a decision to show him love in the best way with my knowledge and discernment so that I would approve what is excellent. The most excellent decision is that my son would live. And I know on the day of judgment, even though I might have broken my son's arm, I know that on the day of judgment, I will be considered pure and blameless because my heart condition, everything inside of me was for deep love and and, and to cherish my son. It was the only option I had. And so Paul gives this instruction to the church. Why, I wonder? Why would he tell them this? Why would he be in prison? And why would the Holy Spirit guide him to say, you know what? You're partners with me. You're partakers of grace with me. And he has this rally call, and then he does a prayer. I pray that your love may abound about more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent you be pure and blameless before Christ. It's all part of the gospel, you see. Today, someone in our con- or this week, someone in our congregation told me a story, uh, told me an account that they've been sharing the gospel with their friend. And they went on a hike with him and they spent three hours sharing the gospel and they got to the difficult part about hell. And the friend, uh, who believes in science and atheism, some of the different things like that, was was kind of like, okay, so, so I'm going to hell. See, at that, at that moment, love and grace. Love and grace and mercy would say, don't give them bad news. Don't tell them. Just tell them all the great things about Jesus, but don't get into the fact of what happens if you don't choose Jesus. And eventually, they'll just come to it on their own, and they'll give their life to Jesus, and they'll find out, whew, that was close. But she didn't. Knowing that she may put her relationship on the line, knowing, knowing that this friend may cut her off. But the pain that she would feel, the pain that she would feel would be the best as possible, would be the best option. And her best way to show love and grace and mercy to her friend is to give her a full picture of what the New Testament and what Jesus describes. Luckily, she heard, but she rejected it, but she remains friends. So she gets another chance. But what if it didn't? What if she said, no, you just need to accept me the way I am. Don't, don't put your judgment on me. That's it. We're done. We're not friends. Is that worth it? Because if I'm supposed to show love to my neighbor, coworker, friend, I'm sure to show love that may abound and bound. The greatest form I can show love is to tell them what, intern- what eternity includes and to try my best way possible in everything I can, all my might, that they may become partakers of grace too, that they may understand that Jesus Christ wants to prepare a good work in them. 
that his good work of grace, he desires it for them. And that once that happens, they will be presented as perfect when he comes back. So sometimes to show love, we need to give that option. So as we close today, I, you know, I can't, I can't help but to, to think, you know, what, what's, what's the Holy Spirit got for us? 2,000 years later in Whitehorse, what's our call? It is our call as partakers of grace, do we need to live like, as partakers of grace, do we need to abound in love more and more, period? Is that our call? That's easier, isn't it? It's always easier to just love and let everything be. Or is our call like that, that that Paul was praying for the Philippian church, that our love may abound more and more, and as, as partakers of grace, that we might have knowledge. Oh, that God would pour out his knowledge on us, that he would pour out our discernment on it. On us, as we, as we interact with each other and interact with this world, that we have knowledge and discernment. So that we may, as a church, approve what's excellent. And we'd be able to see the landmines. And that, and that we'd be able to show this world what eternity looks like. Um, we're going to have some time in worship and response. If uh, you need prayer, the elders and I will be up front. You can come forward either during the service or after if you'd like someone to pray for you. Uh, you can sit and reflect on the words and, and do that, or you can sing with us. It's, it's totally up to you. And at this time, also, I'll call the ushers forward. We're gonna, we have this, this uh, thing that we do if you're new to church where we give to gospel work. We give to the work of the church. You don't have to if it's your first time here. No obligation. It's not like a, it's not like a payment you have to do to come here. That's not it. This is a form of worship that we do, and we, we, uh, we choose to give God some of what he's given us. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you for choosing me to be a partaker of grace. Thank